Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics, episode number 83, Elemental Shift. So this is a bit of a different Table Topics than we've had recently. Today we have a guest with me, and you probably know him on Twitter as Not Our Travis. He's also been one of the longtime members of our faculty and been a player in many of our games. What you may not know is that he decided to put himself behind the DM screen for the first time ever and run a game for us called Elemental Shift. Now, the original idea was that we would record those uh, sessions and put that out as an actual play podcast, just like anything else. But as is wont to do with D&D, particularly first campaigns, things did not go as planned. And so that is what we are here to talk about today with Travis is sort of his journey, uh, where the idea came from, the execution, what he did, what he would do differently, and hopefully just share some advice that he has learned that he will take with him next time he goes behind the screen and give you guys a leg up. So first of all, Travis, welcome to the show. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. Now, the episodes, there, there were a few that were recorded. We, I think we did three sessions. Yes, those three sessions that came out to four actual episodes. Yep, and those are actually on the patron feed. So if you are one of our patrons, you do have access to the ones that were completed. Uh, unfortunately, the, we just sort of have not finished those sessions up. Uh, but we might be referencing some things that if you would like a little bit more clarity and you're a patron, hint, hint, uh, you can go take a listen. So I'll start kind of a big picture. You came to me and said, hey, I think I want to try to be a DM. I got an idea. What was that idea? Where did it come from? Yeah. So I was listening to RPG Academy podcast. That's a good podcast I hear. Yeah. I picked it up from somewhere. And so listening to all these other table topics, I decided that I wanted to try my hand at uh, being a DM. So I tried to think of a story because I wanted to make an original story. I didn't want to run something pre-made. And I tried to think of a story that I would really enjoy and that I would like. So I kind of actually went back to my childhood roots uh, with the story Elemental Shift. And I thought about all the things that I really enjoyed about my childhood. So in the story, you're all four brothers. And that's kind of a throwback to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which I hold so dear to my heart. And then also you're all kind of tied to a particular element. And this goes back to a lot of like the early PlayStation era uh, RPG video games I used to play, such as like Legends of Dragoon, where each individual character is tied to an element and they work together. Also, I think a lot of the things that I decided to do early on, such as you're, you're these nobody civilians living in a town as level zero characters I had you start off as. And that's how like a lot of RPGs and animes I watched as a kid were like, where you're really nobody, but then you get this call to, to do a greater deed. And that's just kind of where that I pulled that from. Okay. And again, that's very typical hero's journey, yeah. fantasy tropes, which I am a fan of, which is why I also like to do zero level characters that start from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I did want to touch on there is, is even though this was your first time ever DMing, you broke some, <laughs> uh, not rules, but like you, you broke away from some of the conventions of the game 
your first time out. Yes. You started off, one, you did pre-gen characters for us. You didn't have us roll our own. Secondly, you made them zero-level characters, which there aren't any actual rules for that. So you kind of had to make up your own. And it's not that hard to go from one to zero. I mean, you can pretty well you know, eyeball that. But what was it that made you want to do that? Because it would have been easier to start like normal first level characters, or it'd have been easy to start with a pre-made adventure. And you said you didn't want to do that. So talk a little bit about why you did not want to do a, a pre-made adventure and then why you decided to do, to do pre-gen characters and level zero. So I didn't want to do the pre-made uh, adventure just cause I felt like if I was going to share something with you guys, I wanted it to be my own, something I could kind of create and manipulate on the spot. And I didn't want to be bound to uh, uh, somebody else's story, essentially. And the the pre-gen characters, I since I wasn't experienced as a DM, I couldn't sandbox it as well as you could for your storylines. So I did feel like I had to railroad you guys just because I wasn't comfortable not doing that. And as part of that, I did the pre-gen characters so that I kind of had control more so over... Uh, the, the party and the balance of the party. One of the things that I did was not give you guys your character sheets for a while in the first episode. And I think one of the, one of the reasons I decided to do that is because I didn't want you to say, hey, I'm this half-elf, or like see your race or your name or your stats and be like, I'm a half-elf uh, ranger, and be like, that's who I am. I wanted you to have a name in mind and you kind of create your own uh, personality based off that. And I think it was it was kind of different. It was kind of risky, but I think ultimately it paid off in the end. And everybody was kind of really getting into the role playing and becoming their own characters and not the character sheet. So I have done that myself where I've done pre-gens. And, and that's what I did for Made Men, which was our first ever actual play. And it mm-hmm. still gets some of the best feedback out of anything that we've done. So I think that's completely fine. And it's a good way to start campaigns in my mind. It, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You can do, can do it or you can not do it. It's either one can be fine, but having done it, would you do the same again? The next time you run a game, would you advise not to do it or would you change anything for your second campaign? I think if I, if I did this again, I wouldn't mind, not doing pre-gens for the simple fact that I also like giving the players the choice to be who they want to be. I I do feel that having pre-gens was just nice for my first time. So I don't think there's really anything against it. Uh, There's pros and cons to be said either way. But like I said, if I, if I ran again, I'd probably try the opposite to see how that played out. Now you came to us with this idea, elemental shift early on. We, we learned pretty early on that we had some sort of grand destiny and that we were attached to these elements. So how did you see it from your side of the table? Were we kind of doing what you hoped we would do? Were we totally screwing it up? Were there any moments when you were just like slapping your forehead like, what is wrong with these people? Uh, I would say most of the time uh, you guys did what I wanted you to do. Uh, there, there were times where I'm just like, I don't know where they want to go with this. And, like, I feel bad because I think I had to, like, look at you guys and be like, come on, seriously, you know where I want you to go. Let's just go ahead and do this. But, like, I think you are kind of goofing on me a little bit, like, we're not going to do that. We're just going to see how you react. And I'm like, 
I don't know how to progress the story because this is what I had written in my head. Yeah, we we were awful. And when I <laughs> and I didn't realize how awful we were until I went back and started editing that first episode. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, we this is his first time and we are giving him so much crap. And I actually felt bad for that. I mean, I think because we knew knew you and you know, yeah, obviously yeah. friendly, uh it, we were like kind of, you know, goofing. But realistically, that being your first time behind the DM screen, we should have been in a much better behavior <laughs> and and helped you. Because I've said that before, as a player who is often a DM, I don't mind if a DM railroads me a little bit. It gives me some structure. I just want to have freedom to do my character's things within that framework. So if you tell me I have to break into a building, I'm fine with that. But I need to be able to break into that building any way I want. Absolutely. Whether it's break through the skylight, dress up like clowns, dig a hole under the ground, whatever. Even if it fails, I need to be able to fail on my own terms. That's where I feel like railroading crosses the line when it's where you have to do this and you have to do it the way I think it should be done. Uh, So we should have been a little bit more cooperative especially that first episode. <laughs> oh my God, it was so bad. But I think we, we, we kind of settled in a little bit and, and it got a little bit better from there. Even even amongst the chaos and you guys giving me a hard time listening back on it, because I was a little stressed with you guys giving me such a hard time. But listening back to it, I, I just laughed so hard. And I just realized, you know, we're all just here having a good time. And I mean, is that what it's really all about? That is absolutely all that it's that it is all about. And again, we were having fun. That's the thing is even though that game kind of fell apart, it wasn't because we weren't enjoying it. It's the same thing happened yet that happens to a lot of, unfortunately, our games right now is player consistency. We had somebody who could make one session. We didn't want to continue it. So we did something else. We did like a one shot that night. And then the next week, a different person couldn't make it. And then it's been a month and we haven't played that game. And then somebody else like, hey, I want to run this. And then it just sort of dies. And that happens, unfortunately, a lot, not just here, but in my total experience with D&Ds, you miss one or two sessions, it's over. And that's why I try very hard to not do that uh, even just now that we're doing one shots, I try to do something every week, even if it's, you know, everybody shows up, we'll play a board game or something, because as soon as you don't make it one week, it makes it easier not to make the next week. So I think that consistency is important. Now, one thing I want to give you a lot of credit for is even though it was video gamey, which again, I don't think is a bad thing, <laughs> you created some really cool NPCs that basically were our quest givers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember the names, but it was the old cranky woodworker and then like Mother it was, Abigail or something. Uh, the cranky woodworker was named Grum, and then uh, Maggie was the herbalist. Yeah, and so both of those, basically, they gave us quests, and then once we completed the quest, we sort of unlocked additional options, and then we could get rewards, like we got healing potions, one of them built us a house. I mean, it was very, like... 1985 Final Fantasy thing. <laughs> you know, we go out of the town, we walk back in, now there's a house that we get to stay in. Dun, da, 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 yeah. Kind of a thing. Well, one of the things I was actually going for with that is I wanted the characters to feel like they're making actual impacts in the town. They don't just go out and do these quests and then get some gold in their pocket. They're actually contributing to the town like and changing people's lives and interacting with them. And so I just wanted to... So want it to be more meaningful to the PCs when they complete a quest. Right. So there, there's a um, <coughs> noticeable change in the town. Exactly. And I, I think that is a great thing to, to strive for. It's often difficult to do, uh, particularly if you, you know, if you stay in the same town for a while, it makes it easier because you can show that growth. But if you have characters that are constantly going from like town to dungeon to new town, 
it's hard for them to see that they've actually accomplished anything other than they have better armor or a more powerful sword. Yeah. Now, so you had this grand plan <laughs> where each of our characters attached to this element would go through like a dungeon. Correct. And we would unlock our own special abilities. And I believe we got through two of the four. Yes. And you did one of the things that I actually thought was really cool. Uh, I, my character, I don't know if that was planned or not, but I was the first character to go through the mm-hmm. the the dungeon and succeed is that once I had unlocked my power, you gave me a new D20, which I think I still have floating around here. The red D20. The red D20 that I would then be able to roll like literally all the time. And it had certain numbers that were keyed on it. And then if I rolled that certain number, I got an additional bonus effect. So where did that idea come from and how do you feel it worked as far as implementation? Uh, It came from that I feel I wanted you guys to almost feel larger than life because even when i gave you the extra d20 i allowed the other players to pick additional skills to make their character even beefier than beyond the D 5e uh rule set i just i just wanted your characters to really feel powerful i um because sometimes i just feel like while i'm playing D, even though in my head i'm this like badass rogue or something i just constantly miss um, so I just wanted to make you guys more powerful. And along the same lines, I wanted it to tie into the elemental aspect of individual characters and give each individual character something unique. So that when you roll this extra d20, I think your numbers were one and two. So you had a 10% chance for this to activate. And when it did, uh, your sword would be in, embalmed in fire and you do like an extra d6 of damage or something. Um, and each character had something different. It wasn't always damage. I think I was going to give Nick, uh, like an extra turn or extra speed. And I was going to give Rocky some healing abilities. Uh, so just really played into like the different classes and make a more dynamic team. Now, one of the things that I I found interesting is we had talked about you running this game for uh, probably a couple months. Yeah. It was, it was being planned before we actually launched. So I want to talk about how much prep and what type of prep you did leading up to that first game and then how that changed between session one and session two. So getting to my personal life a little bit, during the lead-up process, I was working as a security guard with absolutely nothing to do except listen to our podcast all day. So I was just literally listening to RPG Academy all day long And I just had a notepad, and I was just writing down ideas and creating a storyline. But what I did was I created an overarching storyline that I was following. And I was creating the NPCs and then the different uh, mechanics of my world that I wanted to happen. And I put so much prep before the very first episode. But towards the uh, second and third recording sessions... I had to step back a little bit because I had the overarching plot and I would pretty much just create the monster encounters and other other quests that I had planned for you uh, for that day. The way I would equate this is uh, as someone who also talks about wanting to be a writer and reads a lot and is involved in that world a little bit, I know that it's very common for like a brand new writer who gets discovered they, they publish his or her first book, and it's great. And then now, this book that they've spent 10 years maybe 
honing and revising and rewriting and polishing to just its perfect state that gets them discovered and published. Well, now they get assigned to a two book deal or three book deal. and They have six months to write a new book. And the second book, not nearly as good as the first book <laughs> because they had to write it in six months versus a year. And I find that with myself is that I'm, I will openly say my first sessions are often my best sessions because I've done all the work. I've, I've planned it out. I've got all this cool stuff planned on what's going on. But then once you start, one, the players are going to jack up your plans anyways. Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to talk to that about it in a second. But then you have one week, maybe two weeks before the next session. So you have, you know, you've done five months of planning for the first session and now you're doing two weeks or a week for the next session. So do you feel like that as the game went on, you were less and less prepared because you just had less time between each game? Absolutely. I, I did feel less prepared. What I did that I think really helped out, though, is like I said, I had the whole overarching story, and I had pretty much each step I kind of planned out in stages like a video game because that's kind of what I was thinking when I was making it. I had each like of the stages planned out. So I think that really helped cut down my prep time in between... Uh, sessions after my first one but I still felt under prepped because it was like a week or two in between the recordings and I just didn't feel like it was nearly as much time as obviously like the three months that I had to create the whole campaign and and I don't know that I have a great answer to that I know a lot of dms and, I, and I've tried to get more so in the line of less prep and more improvisation but you know, that's not a skill that everyone just has. And, you know, some people are naturally good at it, but you can still get better with practice and with time. But if you have all this plan and prep, then you sort of seem to try to force the characters on it, which, again, isn't always a great answer. But if you don't have that prep and you just try to go with things, sometimes you will improvise something that doesn't quite make sense or takes it in a direction you didn't expect or didn't want. And unfortunately, unless you just, you know, this is your job or you have a job like you did for a while that you had a lot of free time, it's difficult to squeeze in as much prep as you would really want. Uh, so again, I don't have a great answer to that. Uh, like you, I try to come to the table that first session with sort of an overarching story. I kind of know, okay, you know, there's secretly a demon who's running the kingdom and they want to do this, that, and that. And, you know, here's the first murder PCs investigate it. And then I just kind of try to keep them somewhere inside the lines of the road, but they might swerve side to side. Uh, so you specifically, I want to get back to that first game. How far into that first game before we were off the freaking rails? Um, Honestly, it wasn't that bad. It was just when I was trying to get you guys to do something. You stay pretty much where I wanted you to, but I almost felt like I really had to force you at times. Where it was just, I mean, even the simple things of like, touching the uh the pinnacle like i know you you cut that down and edit it but when we were actually playing it it must have taken me like 10 15 minutes of like just touch the damn thing <laughs> like you guys know what to do like yeah. this advances the story let's just get on with it and yeah and then nick's like no i'm not doing it and just just dragging dragging it out and that's actually a, a funny thing that i've experienced in other games where in my head i want to give my character a reason why they would do this thing because I don't want to do it just because I know you need me to. I'm going to, but I want to try to give my character a reason to do it so that way I don't feel like I'm violating my character to get there. You know, think, yeah. think of it like in a movie where you're like, the only reason why they did that is because if they didn't do that, this thing wouldn't happen and it frustrates you a lot of times. 
And I was like, I didn't want to just touch it because I knew I needed to. And so we were like trying to work up a decent reason that made sense for us to touch it. But yeah, as the DM, you're just like, touch the goddamn thing. Let's go. <laughs> what the frack's going yeah, on? Like this was supposed to be a two second scene and now it's like a half hour later and we're still deliberating about it. Yeah. Though I will say one of the number one rules I would give to any or number one piece of advice to anybody is just to be quiet as a DM. I know it's difficult. You know, particularly we're all on a time schedule. We have jobs. We only have a couple hours each night. You know, we, we goof around half of that as it is. But if you have your players and they're doing that, just let them do it. Just sit back and be <laughs> quiet. Let them eventually get there. Because what you might find is in the midst of all that, there'll be some really good role play moments. Yeah. And, you know, that, those are things where you, you let them find that motivation that might make it easier next time. Because they've already decided, okay, this is why I'm doing this. This is, I'm on this path. This is why. And it's sort of like, it'll, it'll get faster down the road, but just sort of pushing them in, in those moments can cause them to, just, to eventually just go, okay, we're playing a game. I'm just going to hit X because I need to hit X here. And I think you lose a little bit of that story. But I mean, I've done the same exact thing, even though I've been doing this for years and years. I'm just like, touch the goddamn thing. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So obviously issues with prep, everyone deals with that. Let's talk about that first combat. So we went into the woods. We were after two things. We were after uh, magic wood. Which the, is, you're after the uh, flex, wood flex wood and the bushels of blood root. Yes. And uh, so we had basically, it was set up sort of like we had a choice. We could do, this isn't a railroaded game. We can <laughs> either go here or we can go here. But we eventually did both at the same time. And there was even a, a gag or joke you put in there that we couldn't actually get 11 bushels because 10 was all it would hold. Correct. Uh, so we tried to put 11 and it rolled off and it would not physically stay on there. I think at that point we were just being silly. <laughs> but we had our first fight that, that you had ever DM'd against a fairy dragon. Yes. Uh, there were some interesting things that came out of that. Yes. Would you like to elaborate? Yes. Uh, so one of the things is I wanted to make you guys fight a dragon because, I mean, dragon, that's awesome. So I put a little fairy dragon in. You guys were only level one, so I thought it'd be fun. Uh, one of the things I learned is that I don't know how to read a monster manual because <laughs> as a player, you never have to deal with that. You you assume it'd be pretty straightforward, but uh, just make sure you look at it a little bit before you throw monsters in. and. Second, I noticed with fights is I did the uh, the correct calculations for how many monsters or how difficult of a combat battle you need, and it always seemed extremely underwhelming. I put this fairy dragon in because it was supposed to be good enough for four level one adventures, and I remember when he finally got to attack, he did one damage. I'm like, well, this guy just sucks. I didn't even read this. I just I saw dragon, and that's as far as I got. And I wanted to include him. Yeah. The, just general advice here. Anytime that you have multiple characters and you choose one monster, it's probably not going to go to plan. And I know there's people much smarter than me that have dealt with the math and they've, they've got it worked out. And I'm sure there are examples that it does work fine. But generally speaking, you want to have multiple monsters. So that way you don't have everybody just circling up and ganging up on that one monster because then you get four attacks Versus their one attack. If the creature is strong enough that that one attack can really do damage, then there's a good chance it's just going to kill one of us. And then, you know, so you have four attacks, one attack kills us, three attacks, one attack kills us, two attacks, and we win, but now two of our people are dead. 
So it's usually easier to have a couple monsters, like one that's a little bit bigger, tougher, and a couple minions, just to give people, you know, like one or two attacks against something that does die instantly, lets the big bad guy hit a couple of us, do like eight damage, you know, enough to put the fear of uh, PC gods in us, but not kill us outright unless there's like a bad roll, and then we gang up on them. But it's very difficult as a first-time DM to run multiple monsters. It's, it, you know, especially we don't use maps and minis anymore. You're trying to do all of it in your head. That can be very difficult. But general advice, one monster, tough to do. The, the, the advice that I would give here, and this is something I did in the A New World game, and I stole this from the Angry uh, DM, which is now the Angry GM, is when I do big solo monsters, I let them go after each PC. So, oh. so it's not one to four. It's like every time you go, it gets a reactionary attack, which is more if you think about like in a movie, that's often how it would work is that somebody runs, in, runs into the monster and it like throws them away. And then the other guy runs in and he picks him up and throws him. So basically I give the monster a turn after every PC turn to kind of balance that out. Yeah, I would say that's uh, definitely some good advice because that first battle, like I said, was just very underwhelming and didn't go at all like I thought it would. Yeah. Now the second battle, a little bit more interesting, and this is where we fought the goblins. Yes. Uh my memory's a little bit more vague on the goblins because that audio was actually lost. Yes, sadly, because I was that was my moment. I was really awesome in that episode, so it was not on purpose. If I was going to lose an episode, it would have been a different one. Yeah, I'm sure you were awesome, but I can't validate that. I did uh, a Captain Kirk role, and then I beheaded the guy as I come up. You know, I kind of remember that Because it was awesome! That, that does sound cool, at least. Yeah. I'll believe you. Uh, no, with the goblins, though, I did do something a little different by having a group of them. Um, I think I had three of them. In the group, maybe? That sounds right, but I don't remember yeah. the specific numbers. Uh, I just remember the goblin battle going over much better than the uh, fairy dragon. Plus, the, the fairy dragon had some odd attacks, and he had some special abilities that I didn't quite research or understand. Whereas goblins, they're very straightforward and easy, and plus they're easy to incorporate in your story because their motives are pretty straightforward. Yeah, you don't usually run into a lot of, like... Um ethics like well do we kill these guys they're goblins you kill them yeah, you, you, just, you, you just kill them. you just kill them they, they attacked us we killed them so one of the other things that happened uh is is later if we got back this is after we came back with our quest items our fetch quest yes and we unlocked our additional uh, npc interactions we ran into that weird sort of situation where in a video game you go and you talk to the clerk he's like would you like to buy armor and you're like yes and then he shows you what he has for armor and then you leave and if you come back, do you want to buy armor? And you just kind of basically have the same interaction. But in an RPG, we want to interact with those people, especially because I thought you did a really good job. So I felt like when the, I guess it would be technically the third quest came about where Grom had his tools stolen. Yeah. We wanted to just like talk to him. And he basically had like three lines of dialogue and we really couldn't progress anymore. I did, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? It felt like yeah. you didn't really have anything prepared to just talk to us. Because you know, basically he said, oh, yeah, the bandits attacked, and then they went this way. And we, we were trying to get more information, and we really couldn't. Like, no matter what we did, we never got more information other than go down the road and you'll run into them. Yeah, I, uh, well, that, that whole situation, I wasn't expecting from you guys. I wasn't expecting the more interaction. So I tried, because Grum, the way I describe him, is he's not a people person. He doesn't like to talk. So I kind of tried to play to that in the storyline, but it was kind of, I think it was a little obvious that I didn't have more dialogue for him. And just the way everything played out for that whole scenario 
completely straight off the path of what I had planned. And I made up everything, actually. Because what I had planned for you guys was to go into this cave near the, uh, the, the sea. And then you go in there and fight bandits or something. And then I remember Rocky casted a, uh, like, tel- telepathy with the birds to find out what's going on. So I made, so then the bandits were sleeping, and then there was gnolls, and it got it got crazy fast, and I had to try to keep it on, on the floor. Yeah, and again, and don't get me wrong, I'm not giving you any crap for this. I thought you did a great job. But the, the point here is I want people to learn from what, what went well and what didn't. And that was one of the moments where we all just sort of sat back and went, what? And it, it was obvious that you were trying to improvise, and it didn't <laughs> work very well. So what had happened is we eventually got on the path that we were supposed to go down the road where the bandits were. Uh, again, from what I remember, Rocky communed with the birds, and you basically said that the bandits are, like, sleeping. They're, like, in the field. They're all just, like, yeah. sleeping. So we decided to investigate, and then at this point, we were level two characters, so Rocky could transform into animals, so he turned into, like, a panther or something, and he snuck up through the grass, and there was a bandit there that was asleep, and he goes to, like, bite him, and you're like... <laughs> You don't bite the bandit. You bite the knoll that was eating the bandit. And we're all like, we didn't notice the knoll was eating the bandit? And that actually was like the end of the game. And then we came back next session and you were like, yeah, you're right. That wasn't, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, I was like, that didn't make any sense. But I was like, it would be so cool though if you're surprised by that. But then I was like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And again, that's a very classic mistake that people make is that in your head, you have this cool moment. This is going to be an awesome moment. That, that moment could be when you realize that the person who gave you the quest was actually the bad guy all along. Mm. Or when you realize that the king's vizier is the evil guy behind all the plot. Or that you are actually you from the future and you're the one that you're supposed to kill. <laughs> you have this cool, cool moment and you force it in there because you want that cool moment and it doesn't fit. And that was like, and I'm, I know in your head, you're like, That's, this is going to be awesome. And then it, no, not no, even a little bit. Like, it's, yeah. And that's just where sometimes, even though it's not your plan, you have to roll with it. And, and that's the thing where when you don't know what all the PCs can do, which is what happened here, you didn't know what all of our abilities were. You didn't know Rocky could talk to birds, probably. No. I don't know if you knew he could turn into an animal. So you don't think about those things, but it would have been better to just let us realize that the bandits were already dead and that the gnolls had attacked them. And in fact, maybe even some of the bandits were still alive. So th- we went up there to kill them, but we end up rescuing them. That's still a very interesting scene. That would have been really cool. That changes things, even though, but you don't get your cool moment, but that probably would have been a better moment. And again, I'm 100% <laughs> sure I've done the same thing and I will do the same thing again. But just for you, the point of trying to learn from this out there, if you have that cool moment, really think about is it as cool as you think it is? And again, going back to the writing thing, uh, there's a kind of a pretty famous saying that I'm going to screw up that basically says if, if you're too in love with a sentence, cut it out. Like if you've just got that sentence, you're like, oh, this is the best sentence in the book. You need to cut it out because <laughs> it probably doesn't need to be there type of a thing. Yeah. No, I, uh, I completely agree. It was, I, it was just one of those things where I was just really trying to stay one step ahead of you guys. And then I thought of this cool moment and... It did not work out the way I had hoped it would. It rarely ever does. <laughs> now, I want to talk about the uh, the first dungeon that we went into. Okay. So, we uh, again, we, we touched the, the sigil that was 
uh, discovered underneath the town after the first earthquake. That's where we went to like a, a spectral void and we were told by an orb that we were special and we were given our little hand tattoos. And then the next day we were basically sort of summoned to go to a place. We touched a portal and then we were in a, like a dungeon. So kind of where did the idea for that particular dungeon come from? I mean, like it wasn't like a typical dungeon underground in, in caves, but it was a confined area with puzzles and monsters. So where did that come from? And then how do you think it went? That was like your first dungeon crawl. Yeah. Actually, a lot of my ideas for the dungeon, and also they played into your hand tattoos as well, came from a, a Wiccan book I was actually reading at the time. Each element has a specific symbol. So for you, you were, it was your element, uh, you're the element of fire, and you had a triangle as your symbol, which coincides with with the uh, Wiccan religion. So by doing that, I was thinking, well, fire and triangles, how am I going to make this work? And then I just, like, I don't know where it really came from, but I thought of putting you guys in an hourglass, because it's like two triangles facing each other. So you got teleported to this giant hourglass, not really knowing it's an hourglass, just thinking you're in the desert. And honestly, I think the first dungeon went beautifully. You guys did everything I hoped you would, and it played out exactly like I was hoping it would. And I just, I don't know. I think the first dungeon was just great, actually. Hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, there should be yeah. positives that we, that we take <laughs> away from this. Because you guys, even during, I remember I listened back and you're like, oh, well, you know, we messed up, so the DM's punishing us. And I was just thinking, no, you guys did exactly what I wanted you to do. <laughs> I was just a dick and wanted to punish you to begin with. <laughs> so let's jump ahead to what I think was the third dungeon, because I have a particular opinion about how that one went. We, uh, we never made it to the third dungeon. Uh, I thought it was the third one. I guess it was the second one. There, were, there was a session where... Uh, basically we, we did a group narrative storytelling moment where as we were going through, you had each of us basically describe yeah. what was in each room. So yeah, that was the, that was the second dungeon. That was the earth dungeon. And basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to create something different with this dungeon. So what happened is, is I, I think I got nine, uh, index cards. And I said, you're here, and I put the first index card down. And I made you describe quickly what was in each room. And I wanted to kind of test my own creativity by taking whatever you guys said was in the room, and I was going to make it happen. And I was just going to go with it. And, I mean, if you guys said there was, like, piles of gold or something, I would have said, well, it was an illusion or something. Create something on the spot so you guys couldn't get super rich quick. But basically, I had each person go around, and we created the dungeon, and you told me what was in it, and I made some really funny, crappy art on the table uh, describing each room. Okay, and, and how do you feel like, in your head, how that would go versus how it actually went at the table? I think in my head, it went a lot better. Uh, <laughs> it was nowhere near as smooth as the first dungeon I put you guys through. Uh, this was just kind of like... A, a uh, creative test that I wanted to try and play out on the table. Because I remember I thought about a while ago, and I just wanted to see how it would play out. And I don't know if it was my skill level as a DM or it just didn't, or the concept was bad, but I just don't, I don't, I didn't like it that much. I don't think it played very well. I think it's an interesting idea. And the more that I try to incorporate other people into narrative storytelling cooperatively, 
I, I've tried to do things somewhat similar to that. I did one very recently in my Dark Hearts game uh, where I put them in a dungeon and like I described parts of the dungeon. There, there were interactions, there was fights. And then I had them go around the table and I said, okay, you tell me how you get through the next section of the dungeon. It, you, and, and it's sort of the same thing. Like they could make up if it was a puzzle, you know, and it was all just sort of like high level. Like yeah, we worked together and we uncovered the clue and we found that there was a key under the rock and it opened the secret door. And the next person was like, well, there was, you know, these monsters jumped out of the walls and we had to do this, that, and the other. And the way they narrated it, I still had effects. Like one of them used a spell slot. Another one, I said, you lost a hit dice from exhaustion. But it, it allowed them to create part of the dungeon, which is very similar to what you did. I, I very, may, very well may have stolen from you, <laughs> not realizing that's where it came from. But I did some at the beginning and I did some at the end. So it wasn't like that was the entire dungeon. And I kind of felt like yours, I don't think we knew what you wanted us to do. I think that was probably the biggest thing that, from my point of view, is I don't know if it wasn't explained well or if we just weren't getting it. Because there was some wild disparity between some of our descriptions. Some of us did, I think, a pretty good job. And other people are like, I don't know. I guess it's a door. you know. <laughs> and so it yeah. was sort of like uh, uneven to create the dungeon that way. I think, I think it's a good idea. I think probably you should have had more ready to sort of fill in the gaps. Mm. When we dropped the ball, you should have been there to keep it going. Because at the end, it kind of felt disjointed. Like, it, like, the, like the dungeon didn't have a purpose because we collectively just kind of mishmashed it together. There wasn't like an overarching scheme that you had that put us together, if that makes sense. Like, no, like you should have done sense. the borders and then let us fill in the middle. Yeah, like each person gets one room instead of trying to create the whole dungeon. Right. I think that would have went a little bit better. But I still think I, I give you props for trying it, though. I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, that was also one of the things of just running this whole campaign is I threw out a lot of really wacky ideas that I thought were unconventional and tabletop gaming because I just wanted to see how they played out. Because, I mean, I don't know when the next time I want to DM is, but I wanted to, I wanted to get these ideas out because I had so many at the time listening to the RPG uh, Academy <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I had so many ideas. I just wanted to, I just really wanted to see how they'd play out. So, I mean, even if they were bad, I just, I just really wanted to see the reaction on the table. So you've now ran three sessions. Uh, this game sort of fell apart. Not saying that we won't ever go back to it, but the chances are pretty slim that we'll come back to it. So what would you do differently? So what, what the totality of your experience Let's say that I'm, gonna, I'm telling you next week you're going to start running something else. It could be a one-shot. It could be another campaign. How are you going to approach it differently, and what are you going to do differently? I think because I had so many ideas that, and like I said, I was railroading you, and I felt like some ideas were forced. I, I truly do believe that I just need to kind of give the situation to the players and then just sit back a little and not really force the correct way on them. But just see how they want to play within the situation given to them and uh, just relax more. Because I was, I was really stressed out when I was DMing for you guys. Yeah, you were a little nervous that first night, uh, but you were well prepped and that was okay. Mm -hmm. I think when you, the, the further you get from your prep, the more the nervousness comes out. And uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with your advice. Um, again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid. If we're goofing around, role-playing, 
you know, it's kind of like herding cats in a way. <laughs> like if it's not working, just just accept that it's not working and just let us kind of exhaust ourselves. And then once we realize, okay, all right, we got that out of our system, we can, you know, then it's a little bit easier to kind of herd us back in the right direction. And we might say something that that's gold that you can take and use then or later. But don't be afraid to take a moment either. And this is something that I struggle with where, you know, we've all had that moment where you, you think of a great one line like five minutes later. You know, you wish you had said it right then, but you didn't because it didn't come to you for five minutes. Yeah. When we're telling a cooperative storytelling game like this, something may happen at the table and you don't have it. You don't have the instant perfect reaction, whether it's what the, what the villain says or, or what the next room looks like or, you know, who was the actual murderer, that type of thing. So don't be afraid to take five minutes and be like, all right, I need to go to the bathroom. I need a snack break. Or just say, I need five minutes and think about it. Because if you take that time, generally you'll come up with something better than the super instant reaction. At least, you know, there's, I'm sure there's people out there who can do it. (laughs) I'm not one of them. Uh, So don't be afraid to take five minutes, especially for the podcast. We can always edit that out. It's going to sound like you were a super genius anyways. Absolutely. Listen back. I was like, wow, I sounded a lot better than I thought I was. But it was probably the uh, magic editing skills. The magic of editing makes us all sound better. Uh, But so did you have fun though? Oh, absolutely. It was a blast. So would you give, tell anyone else to do it? Like, like what would you, like what's one big piece of advice for someone who's thinking about it, doing it? I would say... Definitely prepare yourself. Not only prepare yourself for uh, what you want to happen, but prepare yourself for what you, what's uh, the unexpected, essentially. Because, oh, my God, you guys threw me for so many loops that I didn't know what to do. And, you know, during those times of uh, when you guys threw me for a loop, just kind of relax, have fun with it, and just, you know, kind of see where it goes. Very cool. Well, that is all the questions I have for you tonight. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wanted to talk about from the game or anything about the process? Uh, yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about is uh, one, of the, one of the things I tried out, one of my concepts that I think worked really well is I wanted to create memorable NPCs for you guys. Not like you kind of touched on before with uh, Grum and Maggie, but I also did a lot of throwbacks to your personal lives yeah such as i threw him bury the barbarian which i thought was a stroke of genius when i came up with it and i was like recognize it recognize my genius ba- bury the barbarian yeah bury the barbarian bury the barbarian yeah yeah so uh so like bury the barbarian or your uh sister artemis i thought was clever and then for nick's character i had uh crispy who is his Twitter, Twitter handle. handle? Yeah, and then his uh, his ferret named Butters, which uh, I don't know if I should be saying this, but in World of Warcraft, his character's name is Butter Ferret. <laughs> so that's why that was a throw to him. And I just I just try to create these like personal connections with your lives and what I know about you, right? And then hopefully create these memorable NPCs because I feel like a lot of times when I play these games. You you give some guy a, a fantasy name or a girl a fantasy name, and they're like, this is the NPC that lives here, and then you just forget about them. You're like, I don't even remember who that was, or you have to shift through your notes. And I just really wanted to create something or people and NPCs that you might have already had a personal connection with that you didn't know about. Right. 
Now, I, I actually wanted to touch on that. You reminded me of that is the uh, the bonds, ideals, and flaws that you gave for the characters. Oh, yes. I remember that first <laughs> night we were all going, he nailed it. He got every one of us, uh, you know, it, somewhat telling in some cases. But, uh, <laughs> I remember we were all taking pictures being like, yep, that's pretty much my personality here on paper. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely wanted to play to your personal character uh, strengths and your personal flaws as well. So I, I thought it worked out great because, I mean, like I said, you guys didn't even have character sheets, and you were playing your characters. So I, th- I thought it was just kind of funny in my head. Very cool. No, I, again, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, you know, NPCs on the fly are often very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you get the, this is just a guy who needs to tell you to go left, because if you don't, you're going to be lost for forever. Yeah. But then the PCs think he's super important, so then later he comes back and you're like, I don't remember what name I gave him or what voice I did or anything. (laughs) Uh, So that's very difficult to do, but it's also very difficult to create a whole army of fleshed out NPCs not knowing where your PCs are going to go. You know, you could populate an entire town and your PCs are like, yeah, screw this town. I want to go to the next town over. (laughs) You know, obviously you can recycle some of them, but, you know, it's a balance of how, how much detail do I put into a character who may never even come up? Yeah. Or who may be, you know, forgotten or get killed in a, you know, a ballista attack that you decide <laughs> that these people are going to attack the town and you need a casualty. Uh, but definitely err on the side of more than less, because I do think believable NPCs or, or, or fully formed NPCs, I should say, will definitely create connections to the story that your PCs have. And it's it's nice when your PCs and your players refer back to a NPC by name and not, you know, the innkeeper, but we need to go talk to Charles because last time we were in town, Charles hooks, hooked us up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they, they remembered his name. Like, oh, that's awesome. And I don't remember his name, but they remembered his name. It's <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, that's, and that, again, is something I personally struggle with. I'm terrible at coming up with an NPC on the fly and it's like, uh, Bob, the bartender. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another thing with the, uh, with the side quest that I gave you guys is that this will allow you to interact with the town to, like I said, feel more connected to the town because you'll be interacting with the people. But then also uh, get to know some of the NPCs who you might otherwise not have a reason to interact with. So where was that going to go? <clears throat> what was the end game here? The, en- the end of the story arc? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I'm sure you probably figured it out you had two more dungeons left. Yep. So uh, the third dungeon was the water which turns out it was going to be an ice scape, which you're actually trapped in a snow globe. Earthquake! You guys were actually going to end up fighting a Tersharctopus, because I, I really wanted to throw a Tersharctopus <laughs> back in. So I didn't get to do that. And then the fourth dungeon, I, I had this really crazy idea that I wanted to pull off, and it was going to be a free-fall battle where you're falling through the air fighting dragons. So what I was going to do is have a uh, like a magnetic board and have little magnets to keep track of your distance in the air and where you're at in the battle, and like that's how you guys were going to fight. So I really wanted to pull that one off. And then there's actually a fifth hidden dungeon that you guys probably didn't even know you're going to do. And uh, the reason I do that is because I don't know if you remember on the pinnacle there, I said you had the four elements and then the one triangle that wasn't glowing. Right. That last triangle uh, represents spirit. And so you're going to go back to the place of the orb and you're going to fight your opposite selves. You're going to, and you're going to purify yourselves by killing the negative energies, which it was just going to be a shadow fight, essentially. Right. And then. Classic. 
for the final battle, because I wanted to have some quests to do this, because you have quests to build up the town. And one of the quests was going to get you siege equipment. <laughs> Gotta have siege equipment. Because <laughs> remember all those throwbacks of siege equipment. So you're going to have siege equipment. And it was just going to be this epic battle of this uh, dragon swooping. It was going to be like this icky, like ink-like creature that covers the entire landscape that's encroaching onto the town. And uh, basically it ends with you guys not being able to kill the creature because it was just so powerful it was going to eventually overwhelm you just trying to hold it back and you basically all sacrifice yourself back to the earth and you all die and but the the elemental powers you gain go back into the earth and then restores all the elements of the earth and that was elemental shift so that does touches on one last thing i want to talk about is i've seen this many many times where D&D is not always the best medium for the types of stories that we want to tell. It's kind of what we have. Because it sounds like you really wanted to run like an epic story. I mean, it, it, we have free-falling dragon <laughs> fights and siege equipment against Icar dra- demons and dragons. Yet we started at zero level. Yes. So that's one of the things where I know you were doing, like we were basically leveling at the end of each session. Yeah. But even with that, we, we would not be ready for a fight of that magnitude till we were like probably 15th level or so. And I don't think there was ever a, a thought that we would run that game that long. So were you going to jump us like two levels at some point or were you going to scale things down? No, I mean, that also plays into why I gave you guys the extra abilities and uh, the extra stats to try and help with that. But I would have I just tried to scale things down. Because like I said, the final battle, you weren't you weren't going to win. Uh, it was just kind of, I, I didn't quite have the mechanics planned out just yet. But it would have been like, you had to have like hit it so many times or done so many things throughout the town to prevent it. And then uh, you would have been able to successfully have enough time to go jump into the earth and kill yourselves. <laughs> yeah. The point I wanted to make there or call out was that I did the same thing where I want to have this epic story. But to do that, you need epic characters. Yeah. So you either have to have time for that to grow. You need to do a long-term campaign, or you need to level level people faster than they probably should. You know, and leveling once at the end of each session makes a lot of sense, particularly if you have wiggle room for time, where you you know it doesn't necessarily have to be the next morning. You can you know the end of session one, we are level one, we've completed our quest, and then you say, okay, four months have passed. You now this is happening. You're level two. A year has passed. Now you're level three, because you can always play with time between sessions, so that it doesn't feel so weird that you go to bed at level two and you wake up at level five. Because I've already planned out for you to fight this thing today, and if you're not <laughs> level five, you're going to die. You know, I, I think that helps a little bit, or just start higher levels. Again, that that's probably a different conversation for a different time, but it's just something that I've noticed myself doing and others where you, the medium we we play in isn't always the right one for the types of stories we want to tell. And you have to be aware of that. And you have to make concession one way or the other. But I'm a big fan of the hero's journey. So I like starting at zero level <laughs> and I level you super, super slow. So you're never going to get to 20th level unless you play for like seven years. Well, yeah, I was leveling you guys really quickly. But I mean, it, the, I mean, there was the point of it because you right. guys were going to have epic level fights. And I don't think that's, I, I think that's perfectly fine. A way to do it just to level you up after each session or each little quest i do think having the the idea that we were going to fail that last battle before we ever got into it 
it's a very movie sort of thing. It's a book yeah. thing. <laughs> Not always a good RPG because we all, you know, we all start at Kobayashi Maru. We're going to find a way to win. We're not yeah. going to, we're not going to just go, <laughs> oh, I guess we all die here. True, true. Yeah, it's probably best that we didn't get to it because there will have been some uh, PC fight, uh, fighting back against the story that I want to happen. Yep. But yeah, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have it all planned out mechanically how I want it to happen. But in my head, I was like, that would be badass. Yeah, and again, that's one of those things where in your head, it it would be. In a movie, it would be. In a book, probably would be. In an RPG, <laughs> probably not, not. Probably not. Yeah. Unless unless everyone's on board. That, that's one of those where you may even say going in, just so you guys know, you can't win tonight. And then, you know, don't necessarily say, I expect you to do this, but just let, let us know you're not going to win. Just so that we know that. Because, again, we're, we're telling a cooperative story. I want to have a cool moment. And, you know, sacrificing my character's life to save the world or the town is an awesome story. But until I am explicitly told that I can't win, I'm going to find a way to win. I'm going to try. <laughs> and, yeah. and then you get to that weird part where it's like a DM adversarial thing. It's like, I roll to attack. I got a 20. Well, you missed. You mean, I got a 20. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah. So then it's like f this game. Like it's not fun at that moment. It it loses the the funness because I'm frustrated. But if I know going in, you are going to lose. Find a way to make it interesting. Then my storyteller brain kicks in. Like, okay, how can I make this an interesting story within the rules? So uh, I'm not I'm not opposed to just metagaming and saying you guys are going to die tonight. Just keep that in mind <laughs> and then just start yeah. the game. One of the one of the things I actually played around with to. Uh help motivate you guys to die was I was thinking about bringing your fathers back as like legendary warriors that kind of know the situation and they know that the only way to save the world is by sacrificing yourselves and they would help explain that but yeah I, I don't know it was just one idea I was playing around with is to bring your fathers back as these legendary warriors that kind of traveled through and knocked up your all, all of your moms at one time <laughs> <laughs> yeah because we were all brothers from another mother yeah or Different father, too, because we had, like, an elf, a dwarf, a human. Another dwarf. And another dwarf, but we were all brothers. Yeah. Sort of. In, <laughs> in halfway town, or halfway village. Yeah, halfway village. Halfway village, because it was halfway between two things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Travis, well, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, guys listening, I hope you learned some valuable lessons as well. Absolutely. If you have tried your hand at DMing for the first time, or you are thinking about trying it for the first time, let us know what you're doing. Let us know how it works. Hit us up on the forums. And of course, we're very active on Twitter. And just in case this comes out in time, a Catacon Kickstarter, I think it's going to be over before this hits, but we'll see. But uh, hopefully we'll see you in November because you're listening to this and you're coming to a Catacon. So uh, for Travis, this has been Michael, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. 
We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>